0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started.
1: So this is the exciting week after we both got uh, brand new iPhones. And so I think we wanted to kind of unpack a little bit today um, our initial re- reactions, uh, some, of, some of the process maybe of getting them, um, the importance of getting the actual device maybe, and then just some of the future considerations that... Um, I think we're now both starting to think about now that we actually have these in hand. um, It's been kind of an exciting time, certainly. I think for me as a developer, like I think about my time as a developer, and there've been these these sort of these step function changes where I suddenly have to think about my apps in a very different way. Like I think about going to Retina was the first one, where it's like that was a substantial change, and then the five S was a a big, or sorry, the the five was a big jump where. Rather than you know being three twenty by four eighty, all of a sudden apps can be different sizes. Like what is this? This this is madness. <laughs> um, and then sort of this the six and especially the six plus, where it's like okay, well now like all you know like we're going crazy now. Like the screens are are different, and now you know with the ten we have this other very different. Uh, experience and I, different. and Interestingly, it's it's different not so much now because of uh, the resolution. At least for me, um, it's just it's a t- very different interaction that you have with this phone um, that has taken a little while to get used to, and that I'm still honestly getting used to. But uh, before we dive into some of those specifics, I realized it was probably actually a good thing to talk about. There was a lot of anxiety, I think, around getting getting a hold of this phone, um, and. It's interesting. It was interesting to me because I feel like as if you're a full-time developer, um, having access to the, the latest hardware is probably an important thing. Like, I mean, I always I you know, got up at three in the morning, you know, with two phones, trying to frantically order in the Apple Apple Store app, and like I go through all that process because I, even though I've been using it in the simulator since um, Apple released the simulator for it, there is nothing like actually holding it in your hand. And trying some of the things, especially some of the gestures and things that you just there's there's no you can't simulate that um, quite you know in, in the simulator like moving your mouse up the screen and holding it to access multitasking is nothing at all like you know getting the feel of swiping your finger up. So I think in the first place just to start is I think a I was glad that I think we we were both able to get um, phones on day one, which is great I'm, i would have been it would have been a much more sad and complicated story if we hadn't but i think too it confirmed in my mind that yeah if this is if you if you take you know developing on these platforms seriously you really need to do everything you can to get a hold of them as soon as you can
0: yeah i mean i was thinking back before before this launch happened i was thinking back to the ipad's first days and when when the ipad was announced it was announced like in i think a january and then it came out that april something like that and this was 2010. And between that time, we could develop apps in the simulator. And we could port our iPhone apps to the iPad or make new apps or you know make the same binary and whatever else. Um, but anyway, the point is, on day one, you could have your app in the store for the iPad. And in fact, the conventional wisdom was you probably should have your app there by day one. But all of those day one apps were only there after the developer had only tested it in the simulator. Uh, with with the exception of a very small handful of partners like the New York Times that had like actual access to hardware beforehand, but for the most part, everyone else was doing it just with the simulator. And I I was doing Instapaper back then, and so I had to, I had to simp the same thing where you know Instapaper was an obvious fit for the iPad. It was such a great reading device, uh, and so I had to be there on day one, like you know market wise and market pressure wise, and just for my own satisfaction and my users, I, I really wanted to be there on day one. And the day one app, I basically just made a blown-up version of the iPhone app with, like, you know, iPhone-sized toolbars and everything else. And it, in retrospect, it was horrible. (laughs) But I didn't know that at the time because I'd only ever run it in the simulator. I had never held this device before. And you can do things like – like, people have always been doing things like making cardboard mock-ups and stuff like that just just to try to simulate, like, the, the size it is and maybe where things are, what things are reachable. But you never really know. Like, well, you can make as many mockups and models and simulations as you want, but none of that is is nearly as good as actually having a device in your hand that is so different from what came before it. And that was true of the iPad back in 2010. All of those designs that we made in the simulator only back then, or with cardboard mockups, those were all terrible designs in retrospect. And we all knew immediately upon getting the real iPad hardware, like, oh. This needs to change. <laughs> I did everything wrong. My my impressions were wrong. This needs to be totally rethought. And so I was I was concerned that that would probably be the case with the iPhone 10. And as we've done simulator development over the last month for it, um, I was I was increasingly concerned about that. And sure enough, we have the iPhone 10 now, and I can say with near certainty that that happened. That happened once again. That th- this device is something that you really have to not only hold and use in person, but I would say you should really use it as your own personal phone, if at all possible. And I know that's not an easy thing for a lot of developers to get or to afford or to justify, um, but if you have the means, you should definitely use one of these as, as your primary phone because you need to learn it. You, you need to know what makes a good iphone 10 app you know when the when the first iphone came out you couldn't make apps for it for almost a year after it came out so we at least knew by the time we could even start making apps for it we we had we had all been using it for or we could have all been using it for up to about seven months by that point before we even began to develop apps let alone you know to actually launch them to the store um so we could kind of develop apps with a vocabulary of already knowing how to use this this device, already knowing what works, what doesn't, what's what's a good app, what's a bad app, and we didn't have the luxury with the iPad, and so we kind of had to like catch up after the launch. And the iPhone X is is similar in that way. Um, you, by the way, also say, so many so many similar comparisons to the Apple Watch, also and it's very similar problems there. Um, so this is the kind of device that it is not just. A taller iPhone with weird stuff in the top and bottom like it I mean it is that (laughs) but but it isn't just that uh there's a lot more to this device a lot more nuance and details and real world usability issues uh and challenges and benefits that anything you've done in the simulator and I include myself in this anything that we've done in the simulator only for development has a very good chance of having to be rethought now because it's it's just so different in the hand
1: yeah, no, I will say I think it is was still like I had a couple of my updates out sort of prepped and ready for day one just based on the simulator. And I'm still glad I did that, um, like especially because of the way that they did it for this round was it was a you didn't opt into it specifically. It was if you were built for iOS 11 and you have a launch storyboard, you were going to launch full screen on the, the iPhone 10 no matter what. And so I was one of those like, well either they're going to have a, a slightly broken version or they're going to have a fixed version. And so it's like, I definitely took the approach, I think, of trying to be as close to day one as I could for most of my updates. And then with the understanding that, yeah, it's like, as I get, as I get more comfortable on it, as it becomes, you know, sort of, once I understand the device more, I can tweak and adjust and go from there. But there is something certainly to be said for, like, I think I would never I would never say that you shouldn't ha- try and be there on day 1 if you if you have the, the ability to but it's certainly going into that with the mindset that what you're doing is somewhat temporary and probably make don't make dramatic changes certainly to your app until you've had a chance to live with it for a while like doing adjustments and twe- tweaks and fixes and like on this device there was a lot of you know if you were doing something weird with a status bar or um doing weird layout things on the bottom you may have to shift like you're just moving the existing layout and just you know essentially moving everything in from the edges, like those kind of changes, I think were safe to do. But there's these other kind of more usability, more usability or fundamental changes that I think are the kinds of things that
0: you're going to want to live with it before you can make. Yeah, that's a really good point because it, it is important for a lot of reasons to be there on day one. I mean, right now, you know, if if you have an iPhone 10 and you use an app that has not been updated for it, um, it just gets letterboxed top and bottom, and it looks it looks. Similar to just how it would run on an iPhone Seven, uh, but it really looks old and, and and notice it it looks almost neglected or abandoned. Um, be, even though it's been such a short time, you know, it's, this phone's been out for like three days or something. Like it's been a very short time, uh, but already, like if I launch an app that does not that is not using the screen properly and just is getting letterboxed in, in a legacy mode, I already think, wow, this app looks ancient. And I I, have, I get a bad feeling about it that it seems to be neglected. Um, so, Especially
1: because so many of them have been updated.
0: Right. Exactly. Like, like it's not like you only have one app on the phone like that's updated. Like I would say most of the apps I use on a regular basis have been updated already, which is not only very impressive, but I did not expect this to happen this quickly because it's a lot of work. Yeah. But anyway, so what other considerations are there um, for developing for the iPhone X? I mean, for for me. You know, there's, there's some of the details that we already knew about things like keeping away from the, the bottom edge and, and the top notch area and everything. Um, you know, pulling things out, out of the very, very corners of the phone because those are now getting rounded off. And that's all kind of obvious stuff uh, that we knew from the simulator. But one of the biggest things to me, like, the, I think the biggest challenge with this phone is that things on the top of the screen are no longer very reachable for many people. And this problem is not new to the 10. This problem existed for many people with the six, seven, and eight, and then for even more people with the Plus phones of those series. Uh, But the the 10, I think, really brings it into focus for a lot of us. Like you know, those of us who didn't have really big hands or or who who cared a lot about one hand reachability of the top of the screen, most of us just weren't using Plus phones to begin with. Uh, you know The Plus people are saying, yeah, we've known this for a while. <laughs> this is nothing new to them. Uh, but there, but the, you know, those of us who were using the the 4.7-inch uh, phones, the 6, 7, and 8, um, I, I think it, it's news to us now that, oh, we shouldn't have a lot of important buttons on the tops of screens. Now, this is kind of a problem in iOS because of all the standards of the system with things like cancel and done buttons and navigation bars, um, even just na- you know navigation bars in general. Uh, you know they put everything at the top, and you can do the sideswipe gesture to to dismiss a navigation card uh, or navigation controller. Uh, but a lot of people don't know about that, and you know so there's there's all sorts of challenges now that the entire OS has been built around the assumption that everyone can reach the whole screen pretty much equally, and that that hasn't been true really since the the six and six plus came out. Uh, but now it's like extra not true that <laughs> now now with the 10 um it's reachable for even fewer people at even less of the time so many of our designs are going to have to change and one of the reasons it's so difficult is that apple largely hasn't changed like the system apps still have this problem like one of the things i'm noticing uh in mail you know i i do a lot in mail i use the regular apple mail app and there's a lot of the navigation of things like moving messages into folders where I tap the edit button in the upper right corner. Then pick some messages, then go down to the bottom toolbar to tap one of the buttons on what to do with those messages. And just going from the very top to the very bottom, to the very top to the very bottom, that feels really tedious and and not not like physically exhausting, but just like that feels totally wrong on this phone. And and that's a very very basic iOS interaction you know, paradigm that's been there since the beginning um, but the whole idea now of having anything that requires frequent touching of alternating between the top and the bottom of the screen and even just putting any anything critical at all in the top of the screen that i think needs a lot of scrutiny and we are not going to really know what to do yet in any kind of consistent way i think a lot of people are going to invent their own version of of how to fix this and they're all going to be different for a while and hopefully in the next few versions of ios maybe apple will kind of establish a standard and and show some guidance on how to do some of these things and and you know what the new paradigms and idioms should be in the interface but until then uh, i think it's kind of going to be all over the place and that's not necessarily bad but you know it could be exciting
1: yeah and in a weird way like i'm slightly frustrated by the thought that it's incredibly likely that I guess you, iOS twelve. Assuming it's going to be twelve, but iOS twelve next June. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a sort of a bigger visual um, change to the OS, sort of like we did with iOS seven. That I, you know, it wouldn't have made sense for them to do it at WWDC this year because it would have sort of you know, it, it would, the, the phones weren't out in the world. Like if there was a lot of reasons why it wouldn't happen. They haven't had it out in the real world for as long. But it wouldn't surprise me if right now in Cupertino people are using devices that have changed some of the fundamental assumptions or changed the way that um, the hierarchy of apps is laid out and works Um, and it's kind of frustrating to me in some ways that like that work problem is almost certainly happening and exists in the world but we don't know what it is and we won't know until next June so until then we're just entirely speculating Um, but It's fine, Um, but yeah, there's so many things that I've been thinking about that are just kind of so different than uh, before. Because I've never, I could, I I briefly used a Plus phone as my primary phone when they first came out, just because I forced myself to do it because I figured I need to understand what this is like, and you know, I found it really challenging in a lot of ways that um, made it just feel slightly uncomfortable, and like that sense of discomfort was the thing that I, you know, sort of shied away from and went back to um, regular size phones. Um, but in this, you know, I think this phone physically is similar, but especially I find because there's no bottom bezel. Um, so it kind of shifts things down um, it, a lot. It you know it makes sort of the top feel even farther. And I mean, I've been playing around with some thinking too, of even things like it's kind of funny how we always put the like the most recent um, items, for example, at the top of the list. Um, whereas in many ways that like, if that's more, probably more likely to be something that you're going to interact with, like I've been starting to play with the thought of what if we like, should all of our table, our table views go bottom to top rather than top to bottom now. Hmm. Um, and things like that, where it's like, if I did that, it would be t- like, it would sort of like break my head and like for a while, because that's the opposite of what I'm used to. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like would that actually be better? Like would that more often, would it be easier to interact with the thing that I want to interact with? Um, And then, so so things like that are starting to come to come into my mind where um, there's all of these little changes and things that um, structurally we have to worry about. I mean, it doesn't to say nothing even of um, I've definitely noticed that the increase in resolution and like the visual sharpness of the display has definitely, you know, shown me a few areas where, you know, I needed to tighten up my uh, design and layout and things because, um, like, if you're if if you're off slightly, but something like I had a I had, for example, I had an issue where um, I was doing some core graphics rendering and I wasn't correctly snapping to um, sub pixels subpixels correctly, mm-hmm. um, and like on this on this on like my plus, I couldn't see I couldn't really tell because it would all just sort of get blurred out and it was fine. But on this one, it's like there's these, these sharp lines where I'm off by a third of a pixel somewhere. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredible how a device being so precise like, ca- has, causes us to have to make, make our designs both you know, from a structural perspective um, better, but also just visually and I think from a precision
0: perspective uh, be that much more sharp. We are sponsored this week by Linode. Linode has fast, powerful web hosting options that you can get set up in just seconds. Linode's tools are easy to understand. You can choose your own resources and Linux distribution, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And Linode plans now start at just $5 a month. That gets you a Linux server with 1 gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode has over 400,000 customers, which include me and David, and we are all serviced by their friendly 24/7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in their community. If you need help, Linode is there for you. And the Linode control panel is just beautiful and so easy to use. This is, you know, I've used a lot of web hosts in my career so far, and I consolidated everything to Linode years ago because I, I was so tired of how clunky every other host was to use. And Linode was just such a breath of fresh air. It's so much easier. It's so much more pleasant. And they have incredible capabilities. You can also do all sorts of advanced stuff. Like they have an API. You can automate the creation of instances if you need to. uh, If you're kind of you know building something more complicated or some kind of auto scaling thing, uh, it's wonderful. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They have the power you need and the infrastructure to make it work. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Again, you can get a server with one gig of RAM for just $5 a month. That scales all the way up to lots of different increments along the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just $60 a month. Across the board, Linode's offering twice the amount of RAM you'll get elsewhere. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar you will not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a 7-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more and take advantage of that $20 credit at sign up or use promo code radar 2017 at checkout thank you so much to linode for supporting our show so one thing that i wanted to touch on briefly too
1: that is something that is one biggest thing that's been annoying me with uh, iphone 10 development is whenever we find ourselves in a place where there's a tension between what apple is recommending we do um, and what we kind of i don't know would prefer to or, or would like to do and specifically for me, this has come up in my iPhone X development, where um, I have situations that the home indicator overlaps scrollable content um, at the bottom of the, the display. And Apple's recommendation, you know, sort of in the human interface guidelines for this and what they do in all of their, own, their current apps, is they, the home indicator just overlays that content. Um, just, it's just like right there in the two, like the two are just overlapped. And it, to my eye, looks kind of awful. And it's this funny thing because I've been so tempted to do something about it. To uh, like, for example, one thing that I played around with was just. I mean, you could the obvious thing would just be to put a black bar there, but I think that kind of that kind of loses the effect a bit. But it was also like, well, what, what about using some of this transparency effects um, that we you know have available to us, where we can you know I could put a sort of a frosted bar underneath the you know the, the bottom. Of, of my app, and so, as you scroll the content, you get that nice kind of the color of it would, would bleed through, but the content wouldn't itself be right up against that home indicator but, as, as I can tell, that's not the recommended way to do it, and it's this funny tension that I find where it's like I kind of want to just do it anyway, but at the same time, I also don't want to assume that i you know it's like i there are maybe reasons why Apple wants to do it that way, maybe the home indicator is going to be going away in a little bit, and so it's better to just live with it in a weird way for uh, for a few months, and then you know at some point the home indicators will become optional or more optional. Um, but I just wanted to mention it as this funny situation where like you see something, you're like, I just don't really like that, um, and I still kind of this I'm still torn between if I well, should I keep going Apple's way or if I should sort of do my own thing and um, just you know make it
0: look visually a way that I would prefer it to look. No, you should you should go Apple's way. Here's why. So. When you know when when we when we were first getting the simulator and first designing our apps and adjusting our apps for the iPhone X, uh, we were our eyes were just drawn to the notch and the home indicator because these are these new things that are intruding on our screen space for the first time ever. You know, we we with the exception of like the status bar, uh, we've never had like these intrusions into our into our screen space unless we've used Assistive Touch. And assistive touch is that feature that puts the virtual home button and other virtual controls in this little blob that's always on the screen, so you don't have to use a physical home button on previous iPhones. And uh, people who, who use assistive touch, which is very popular, uh, especially in Asia, um, it, it's incredibly popular. It's more popular than not using it, I think, in many places. <laughs> um, that is a thing that's always on screen. And it's just this little widget, and it can be moved around, but it's this little widget that's always on screen. And when you're using it, you don't really see that anymore. Like, you don't notice as a user that there's like this little virtual button thing always on screen. You know, you might notice it for the first day, and then you just stop seeing it, really. You just kind of see past it. Um, With the iPhone X, that I think, so far in in my admittedly so far short usage of it, I think that's how the notch and the home indicator are for me now, where... I don't really see them in use when I'm actually using the phone or actually browsing through apps and stuff. They don't register to me like visually. I I'm just looking at the content in the app and I I'm just missing them entirely. So if you do anything like block them out with bars or put some kind of fade thing there or anything else, anything you do to hide it in any, in any way or to draw attention to it is only going to emphasize the presence of this thing that, your users are are probably already not seeing anymore. Like they're like, it's it's the kind of thing where we heard from the from the very first reviews of the iPhone X. Everyone was asking, "How's the notch? How's the notch?" And almost every reviewer was like, "Yeah, hey, you don't really notice it." <laughs> and that sounded crazy to us because we had been looking at it in the simulator for a month and and only noticing it, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. But. In use, you really don't notice it. Like You really just kind of stop seeing it after a while. Um, and I think the same is true of the home indicator. So I, I don't think it's wise to even make any attempts to hide them. I, I think do do what the Apple apps do, which is if something is scrolling and it runs into the home indicator, just let it keep going. Let, let that cover it up sometimes. It'll look occasionally weird, but nobody cares. Um, and anything you do to artificially put a bar or a fade or anything down there i think will only draw more attention to it and apps that i have that have something down there um like that have like a little like status bar or you know something something that's not just like a stock toolbar or tab bar kind of thing i actually don't like the way those look down there and and even though like they're not doing it as like kind of a trick it was kind of just their previous design like like one of them that's like this is uh, the unread rss reader which i love it's a great rss reader um that app has this like kind of status bar thing at the bottom uh, in certain times, and it really looks weird on the ten because it looks like it's trying to, you know, hide or work with this area down here. When in fact, what you should do is pretend the home indicator isn't even there. Just don't put controls under it, but otherwise, like you know, let content flow under it. And you know, same thing with the notch up top. Like let your navigation bars go under it or whatever, and and just you know, pretend like it's not there for content reasons. Only pay attention to it for control layout reasons.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's probably good advice. And I think that's what I've ultimately done. But it is a weird I have this funny tension about it. And I will say in one situation where I had it, I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna restructure the layout of this app this app to just have a tab bar now. And that worked that solved the problem and it went away <laughs> and had made me feel much better. So you you always have that as an option too, if you uh if you want. Just like just, just use a tab bar or a toolbar, and then it feels really natural and doesn't feel like you're kind of drawing attention to it uh, in the same way
0: well the funny thing is there like a tab bar not only does it does it avoid any kind of dealing with the home indicator if you do it the stock way uh but also it pushes critical navigation to the bottom like this is another another yeah. one of these areas where like if your app before suppose it had like a hamburger button in the upper left corner now that, that was a, that's a pretty common design pattern sure uh that is now like the way to primarily interact with your app is now unreachable like, if it's in the if it's in the top corner it's basically unreachable much of the time uh in the iphone 10 and so like switching to a tab bar puts all that at the bottom that there's a reason for that like that 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 is a really good design decision in a lot of cases and you know the, none of this stuff is going to apply to every app but i think it's very important to consider all this yeah. um the last thing i wanted to mention is the the nature of oled and the color black um it, when you're designing for lcd screens you know, I, I've done a lot of dark modes in in my time so far, and uh, and whenever I made a dark mode, I would always try uh, pure black as a background color first, and it never looked good on on any LCD screens. It just it looked horrible. Like it, some kind of very dark gray looked way better, and on an OLED like the iPhone X and the, like and like the Apple Watch that's not the case anymore on, on like there's a reason why apple watch apps all have pure black backgrounds and you are encouraged not to use different color backgrounds in the apple watch you're, you're encouraged to keep the stock pure black background because on oled dark grays don't look very good compared to just really using pure black if you if you use dark gray it just kind of looks it looks old now um whereas if you use black on an lcd it doesn't really look very good because it looks more like dark gray <laughs> it looks like a bad attempt at dark gray um, so I, what I need to do and what a lot of us need to do with with dark themes in our apps or just with dark designs in general uh, is really consider using pure black. And there's a lot of challenges with that. Like, you know, one of the reasons why we went with gray before is that it reduced the contrast a little bit. Because if you have like searing white text on a pure black background, that's way too high contrast that can cause eye strain for a lot of people. But there are solutions to that. Make the text darker or, you know, like play with the other colors in the app, like bring the whole palette down because with OLED, it's going to not only look better, but also save power. Yeah. And it is definitely something too. even just beyond the considerations of what our
1: dark modes should look like. It's something that I've started to have to think about. I'm like, should a lot, should most of my apps have a dark mode? I mean, I know this was something that was rumored for a while that is coming to iOS at some point in the future, that there's going to be a more system wide dark mode, but um, like seeing how good black back or black and, you know, in general, darker layouts look on this phone, it makes me definitely start to think like, as I'm choosing colors, as I'm, you know, setting up how I do, um, some of the visual stuff in my apps that I should make sure that it works sort of in a light version and a dark version. Yeah. Um, because it wouldn't surprise me if that's where we're heading, um, down the road. And so it's something probably good to, good to be prepared for. Um, And it's also probably worth saying a fun way to just sort of quickly get a sense of how your app might look um, is if you go into the uh, accessibility options, you can there's an option to invert colors, um, which for most apps, if you have a lot of whites, will just turn them to black. And so it's a sort of a very quick, low budget way to uh, just get a sense of what your app might look like in a dark mode to see if it's, you know, see if it's worth pursuing or worth uh, sort of sort of without how to best structure your app to do that.
0: Oh, well, we got a lot of work to do. I got to yeah. rethink my entire UI and change my dark mode. <laughs> it's, it's not fine. It's <laughs> nothing. Yeah, I'll have that next week, right? <laughs> I, I look forward to hearing about it on our next episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of time for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you then. Bye.